from Carry the Load, these are Lessons from the Front, stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. So, Mike, I, I want to I want to thank you again for being here, and I I, I want to jump into a a a little bit um, timely topic, and that's you know what's going on in 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 Russia and Ukraine. Um, as as we both know, Carry the Load is not a political organization. However, um, the politics of things like this impact the world that we know very well, and that is especially the nonprofit world that 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 deals with um, you know a lot of America's youth in, in the military. What what is your take on what's going on right now in Ukraine and with the Russians? Uh, I, I think it's uh, anybody who's reasonably kept an eye on the world stage. Uh, I'd have picked South China Sea before this, but obviously with Crimea and in uh, Georgia that had preceded it, uh, I think the interesting byproduct of it, there's a ton of tragedy, uh, obviously in human suffering that, that's there and is not going to mitigate anytime soon, but... Um, how short-sighted not just we but Europe has been over the last 10 years of thinking we've moved on to some newer age that there's not going to be a world war and we don't have to worry about this stuff. It's all going to be regional conflicts in Afghanistan or Iraq that we're going to be able to go at least put a lid on it, um, that uh, the, the cultural tribalism and the Soviet mentality and, and the Chinese – uh, somehow isn't that severe of a threat anymore because we've got internet and, uh, you know, people are tweeting. It, it just, you look at the resolve that it's brought to Europe almost overnight from Germany who wouldn't approve any weapons package sure. to the Ukraine to uh, unbelievable gestures of humanity. I was watching a clip uh, late last night uh, as I was wrapping up some work that there was a Swedish family that had drove to the Polish border with a sign that said, we can take eight people. And they were interviewing them. And they were like, why are you doing this? And their family had gone through World War II. And they, you know, they're relatives. And they had the memory of it. But it it's the right thing to do. You know, we were calling for the end of NATO here and defunding just four years ago. And it's obsolete. And... Uh, we were getting ready to pull troops out of there. And, you know, there's a reason it exists. Uh, I think people get short-sighted in it. And, you know, we make a lot of jokes about the French and why they have rear-view mirrors and tanks and <laughs> and other things. But, <laughs> you know, if if you look at the history of their resistance, the Italian resistance, uh, people going to Spain to fight Franco um, from all over Europe, uh, when he was there trying to install fascism, it, I think you're going to see a resurgence of unity and people of, of redefining the mission. Now, do we have the focus to stick with that beyond two years until the next crisis? We'll see. But uh, I clearly think it points to the need that why NATO's there uh, and the need for it. Yeah, and that's honestly, that's a concern that I have. Um, you know, we get very short-sighted as a, uh, I mean, you know, we're just, we're a, you know, I remember a, a mutual friend of ours, Woody Williams, I was talking to him 
and I was asking him about, you know, life when he was growing up versus now, and he referred to our society now as a throwaway society. And that has stuck with me many, many times because of how right he was. And it, it, when you take into account the term throwaway society, basically what it means is I'm ready to move on to something else very quickly. Okay, I'm bored with this. Let me move on to something quickly. And I hope that we continue to follow this as long as it goes. Because, and, and, and I'll be very clear. My personal opinion is we should not be in the middle of it. We've, we've had 20 years of, 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 you know, of war. We're broke by it financially. We're, Absolutely. You know, and p- anyone who thinks we're not is crazy. Um, you know, we're, I'm tired of seeing young men, you know, come home in caskets here. I don't care how noble of a venture it is. If it gets to that point, I'm okay to support it, but there's a lot of other people and some of them, you mentioned a lot of other countries that are now stepping in. That have a bigger skin in the game. Absolutely. And, Our and most precious commodity in this country is 18 year old blood. Could not and agree it, with you more. It, it, and it should be treated as such, right? It's, it, it, the, there's a chance it goes regional nuke over there. I mean, there's, it, it, he's got a lot more tactical than we do. Uh, I was reading the numbers on that the other night. Uh, but our involvement's not going to change. It's only going to exacerbate. And I'm all for sending them everything we've got. And if right. there's people here that want to want to volunteer and go, go. You know, it, it's happened around the world. People came here and we were fighting for our independence from other countries. Absolutely. And and, and we certainly, I mean, I, I wouldn't deter somebody from doing that. But, you know, what? what's also interesting is, I mean, when, when did you go to boot camp? What years? Or what year? September fifth, nineteen eighty three. Nineteen eighty three, and and I was, uh, you know, I was about five six years behind you. Um, what What's really interesting is that when you and I went through boot camp, the the op four or opposition forces, the enemy it was always Russian. Was always Russia, and you know the way we were trained, the way we were um, molded if you will, was they are an unbelievably strong fighting force. And, you know, they, you know, they will, uh, they will live and die for the, you know, the hammer and the sickle. And that militarily has carried forward. That reputation has largely carried forward. And what I think is just really interesting is, you know, you referenced the Revolutionary War. And the morale of an invading country who has really no fight in it is, is one of those intangibles that you just cannot put a strong value on versus if you come into my house. Oh, without a doubt. It's on. You know, if, you're, if you go into somebody's house, you know, a couple blocks away, I'm interested and, and I'm there if, if I'm needed. But it's not the same. And so, you know, watching the resolve of the Ukrainians, I, I think is a is I don't care if it ends tomorrow. It is a battlefield study like none other. Oh, without a lot of lessons learned there. A lot, a lot of, of lessons. lessons. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the I was telling somebody the other day that uh, I don't know if you ever went out to Nelson Red Flag uh, in Vegas uh, for the war exercise, but they used to paint the F-5s in, uh, 
had a Soviet star on them. Mm-hmm. They wore Soviet uniforms. If you went to well, Sears, I think they did that in Top Gun, didn't they? Didn't they? Isn't that what they used for the Op Four in yeah. Top Gun? And if you went, if you went to Sears School in Maine uh, or any of the other places, you were interrogated by guys speaking Russian. And uh, it, you know, everything we grew up around, uh, you know, all these, it kind of cracks me up when people talk. I mean, Putin is KGB. I mean, that's where he came from. Right. Where he's born and bred. He hasn't morphed into, you know. He wasn't Gorbachev or any of the others. He came from the old school. And anybody that, that ever thought that he gave a rat's ass about us or anybody else, you know, somebody said they think he's got $860 million tucked away, you know, cash-wise, you know, plus all his oligarchs, how he's bled that country. So he's had the best of both worlds. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I heard somebody saying, you know, that he um, – this is not going according to plan. You know, he's not really smart or something like that. I'm, I'm thinking, don't mistake crazy or stupid. Oh yeah. I mean, he's he, he's not a. You can get where he's at. You know, you yeah. you, you only get so many bounces of the luck ball. <laughs> you don't you don't end up in that. You know, this isn't beer pong. <laughs> so, okay. So I want you to think in terms of, you know, young Corporal Mike Brower. Um. Knowing what you knew then, I want to I want to put you in Ukraine. Okay, doesn't matter who who you're fighting for in this regard. Knowing what you know now from you know from your time in service and in your life and uh, as it relates to you know leadership and whatnot, what kind of what kind of lessons do you draw upon? When you've got a group of people that you're trying to, I mean, you know, let, let's say you're trying to get to the, um, you know, to the 40 vehicle convoy that you know is just a sitting duck target. What kind of, uh, of lessons do you draw upon to accomplish a mission like, well, I'll just give you that mission. <laughs> you're giving the air winger the convoy? <laughs> I'm giving the air winger the convoy. Take it down. Oh, I, it, leading people's leading people. I mean, you got to give them a purpose and a cause, right? Yeah, and a plan. Uh, and you got to have them have a little bit of input into it. But at the end of the day, you already got to know what your end result and how you're getting there. Right. You may tweak a little bit for them, but uh, most people want to be heard. Uh, and you get a handful every now and then that think they've got the answer. But you, they, uh, I, I have an expression of work for my team. We have two things in our boat. We got bullet and oars. If you're not rooting, rowing, I'm shooting. So <laughs> you're going over the side. <laughs> so. Okay, I like that. I like that. What? No, and and I and I completely agree. The I mean, you know, leadership is leadership. It doesn't matter. And 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 you know, I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. Certainly, the you know, the world is is responding to that. Um, what what's you know as far as Zelensky goes, you know the world is definitely responding to you know what Absolutely. he's shown as far as leadership. For him, I mean, he's the motivational piece of it. Now you got to come up with it with an end plan. I, I mean, I think if I I'm ADD, as most of my staff will tell you, and I'm all over the place. But I got a lot of things going on in my head, and I don't always do a great job articulating it. And mm-hmm. I find that we succeed better when I have time to sit down and kind of let them know where my mind's raced to and what the end is and then take it back and start walking through how we're going to do it. Um, the uh, early days probably left more pieces out than put out. So, Yeah, and I, I want to I wrap that back around because, you know, I, I certainly wasn't expecting you to go into, 
you know, I'm going to establish a, uh, uh, an assault element here and a, and a support element here. I, you know, I certainly wasn't expecting you to go into that, but I, I, I do think that what you said is, is very important. You know, giving someone a task and a purpose, and that was one of the, obviously the, you know, the quintessential aspects of, of what we learned um, you know, through operations orders or, you know, five paragraph orders, SMEAC, whatever you want to call it. Um, the mission has to be a task, but more important, there has to be a purpose to it because that leads into, you know, the final result desired. If for some reason I can't get the, um, uh, if I can't get to the purpose by way of the task I've been given because that road is blocked, I understand the purpose. I understand the final result desired. Now I know I've got to do it in a different way. You got to go solve it. And I, we have my team. We have this conversation all the time. You solve the problem, right? I don't want to come back and find five people standing there. And go, well, we could. And I use this example all the time. Uh, when I first left the airlines and started my own company, I had given a young lady a FedEx package that had to be overnight, and I was heading for the airport. And uh, I'm like, it's got to be there tomorrow for us to get this this job. And um, had had a sticky note on it with the company's name and uh, the guy's name uh, that it had to go to. And I came back, and it was still sitting on her desk. And I'm like, why is this still here? She's like, I didn't have an address or a phone number for him. Fill out the FedEx thing. Like, I gave you a computer with Google on it, right? So I walked over and I punched the company's name in, came up, the contact page, there's the address, there's the general phone number for the building. I'm like, you couldn't have solved that? You know? Well, she left me a couple weeks later. I left her a cubicle. <laughs> I, I, I printed off the Google screen and put about 50 of them papered her, her cube. In them, so. Well, you know, it, what's, what's interesting about that is, you know, you, when you were telling me that story, the first thing that popped into my head was message to Garcia. I, I still haven't done it yet for this screen, but it's it, given it out of a couple of different places. I work. I love that book. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And it's such a quick, easy read. And, but I, I remember, you know, going through the basic school, um, and infantry officer course when we're i can't remember at what point we read that but i i remember all the time you know we'd, we'd start looking at each other you know we'd, we'd be given a mission and we're looking at each other and we're like i have no idea where to start <laughs> and then finally somebody just goes message to garcia you know and we just go figure it out and we go find it and and that's you know that is a um that is a a life lesson you know that that i take with me because there are many times where, you know, I know I've got to accomplish something at work or I know I've got to accomplish something at home. I have no idea how to do it. You know, I mean, I, I the freeze, you know, last year, the snowmageddon that happened yeah. here in Dallas. Well, all I knew is that I didn't want my pool equipment running during that. And so I'm like, I've, I've never had to, to to mess with this before. I start YouTube and stuff. And next thing you know, I'm draining my, my filter and drain it, you know, and, and lo and behold, I didn't have any problems, but that message to Garcia is a tremendous lesson. So my question to you would be, what did you have any, do you have any takeaways from, from your time in the Marine Corps that, 
that you still carry with you to this day that, that you reflect back and, and it's just a tremendous lesson for you. And it's the kind of lesson that you, that you can pass on to other people. Yeah. I, uh, my first couple of years, we had a large group of us that were knuckleheads in a, in a squadron on a small base training reservist. And, uh, five of my buddies got out probably about a year and a half, the year ahead of me. And, uh, my staff sergeant called me and he says, you know, it was hard to deal with you guys when there was five or six of you, but now I pretty much got you. <laughs> and so he goes, well, you can figure this out real quick. And, uh, I, uh, really focused at that point in my career and, uh, to the point that had I not had a, a personal situation arise with the best friend, I was going to take the MESEP option and head off the OCS, but they ended up getting meritorious corporal and, and, uh, the something else we have in common. I didn't realize uh, it. He, uh, it, it, we didn't have a cutting score, uh, because they'd come up with a six year program and all the NCO belts. So the only way to get, NCO when I was in was meritoriously for RMLS and, uh, in being in a reserve training reservist at a reserve station, you, they only gave one out in the entire wing. So you had to go up through your base and then against everybody else around the country. So, but having done that and gotten into that first leadership role, um, and ended up with a bunch of corporals that were got it at one year mark, right? I was still in school, had not led anybody. Um, Got some great mentorship from my staff sergeant, my gunny at the time. I just watching you do this. You may want to think about this. None of it punitive, all very constructive and, um, really kind of set my tone. Um, and I kind of went back and did the same thing when I got with the airlines. It was not really so much a career as free flying and allowing me to enjoy a good lifestyle until I met my wife and decided it had to be a career. And I took that same attitude shift that I'd used it in the core to be successful and pivoted at Delta to, to rise up through the ranks with them. So, so your ADD kicked in. So I want to take you back to your, uh, <laughs> to your, to what, to what you were talking about. So you, you said that, that this staff sergeant called you in and said, Hey, with five of you, y'all are, y'all kind of had me overwhelmed and now I got you. What was it that, that, that he, what is it about that that memory that that sticks with you? I mean, was he? So it was a little more deep than that. He uh, he actually invited me. Uh, him and his uh, son and his wife were going canoeing in North Georgia over okay. the weekend, and and you were stationed where at this it, point? It, it, in NAS Atlanta. NAS Atlanta. Okay. And asked if I wanted to join him and a couple of their friends. And really, you did see the movie Deliverance, right? Oh uh, yeah, I did. Okay, just making sure <laughs> we didn't go that far north. <laughs> But they, uh, it, it kind of had a long talk about you got a real potential here to step up and do, and if, if you want to, I'm here to help. And if you want to keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be sacrificial lamb. I'm going to crucify you in front of everybody. It's a really? lesson learned. Yeah. So pick your path. <laughs> so, you know. And so what? I mean, let's set the context a little bit. What had you? What had your group been doing? We were all pretty, very, very sharp for, it was a, a lot of people came to NAS Atlanta to retire, so there was a lot of E2, E3s working on planes, and, uh, uh, and we, E2 and E3 is private first class, yes, and Lance Corporal, Lance Corporal. and, 
uh, we were got a lot deeper. Usually, stuff you're getting into on your second tour, um, and we were good, and they knew they relied on us. But it, you know, it was uh, they were we had a corporal running midnight shift. So there was a lot of shenanigans going on there when they weren't at home. And uh, wait a minute, this doesn't give me a good feeling. <laughs> Avionics shenanigans. It's kind of a serious topic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was, and it was all. It, it would be stuff where, hey, we know three of us can get the job done. So tonight, you three cut out, and we'll take care of it. Type stuff. So real quick for for the layman, what is avionics? Uh, well, for the Marine Corps, for most of them, it's communication, navigation, equipment, radar. Uh, for the Marine Corps, they have an AE and an AV, which is avionics and aircraft electrician. But when you get to a squadron, uh, you do it all. If it's got a wire going to it or power going to it, you own it with the exception mm-hmm. of, uh, the weapon systems and then the ordnance group handles that. But, gotcha. uh, you know, I had friends that were in the air force that did a specific system. You know, I, I was in charge of outside lights, you know, cause they're so specialized in their MOSs. Oh. You know, I, I went to school for OV-10s and got there, and I didn't work on one for a month. I was on Cobras every day. So, Marine Corps is just like, hey, we gave you the basic skill set. Get to it. <laughs> Message to Garcia. Go figure it out. Yeah. Okay, so my ADD just kicked in there. So, I want to go I want to go back to your to your staff sergeant then. So, the context was, it was uh, NAS Atlanta was kind of a place where people went to retire. You and this, this group of uh, Marines, y'all were – Sounds like y'all are kind of feeding off one another. Oh yeah, as, as uh, probably as lance corporals living living that air wing stereotype, right? Borderline for haircuts. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Running around in our flight suits. So well, and you, and you know, I always tell people, um, you know, who are unfamiliar with you know with the Marine Corps that to me the lance corporal rank is the most. Um, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but I, I'm going to say. It's, it's the most important rank to an individual because I look at, at the cross rifles you get at that point as a crossroads. Most Lance Corporal, well, let me rephrase that. All Lance Corporals are going to take one of two routes. They're going to take one road that, that's to nowhere good. No. Or they're going to take the road to what you did, and that was as a meritorious corporal or just to the next rank. And so it sounds like you were kind of hovering in that group. You almost kind of got back to your old street ways. A little bit. And uh, it, it, it hadn't really, you know, you're still 20 years old. You're, you're not, I don't know how serious you're taking the world. Mm-hmm. You're not locked down at a Pendleton or Lejeune, mm-hmm. right, where you're. That was, that was so precisely pronounced, Lejeune. Uh, I have been. You, uh, are, you are very educated. I got a. Uh, a card from our friend Woody Williams uh, for mispronouncing it one time uh, that uh, it's a thank, little thank ju- you for giving me that warning oh yeah you, he carries them with him he will, <laughs> he will pull it out but my wife also as a flight attendant had uh, flown his granddaughter mm-hmm. uh, for some ceremony back there from Atlanta on a flight into Jacksonville and she corrected her on the pronunciation but this is before it had gotten popular on correcting on the pronunciation. So for years, I told my wife she was wrong until they they uh, started pronouncing it correctly. Don't ever tell your wife she's wrong. <laughs> okay, so again, my ADD kicked in. I interrupted you. So as unlike most Marines that go to Pendleton or Lejeune. You're, yeah, I mean, we were 
Air Force Army where they were sent Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. You're on the very backside of it. We had 200 active duty Marines, mm-hmm. you know, a couple thousand reservists and uh, a small Navy squadron there. Uh, you know, it was enlisted club all ranks. So you're there drinking with, you know, gunnies. In fact, they private PFC and up could live out in town. Uh, the Sergeant Major did not want me in the barracks because I would have to share a room with a staff NCO or above. All the divorce guys moved back in. Ah. So we were all living out in town, uh, you know, surrounded. I, I think uh, the majority of the apartments around us were all either Delta or Eastern flight attendants. So, oh, Lord. Yeah. It was, a, it was a fun time. When I wasn't at church or at, or at the library, I, you could find me by the pool occasionally. Which was never, <laughs> by the way. So so with with that kind of environment, again, you, you put yourself in a position where you could have gone a couple of different paths. As these guys started rotating out, your, your staff NCO brings you in and, and, and kind of gives you the what for. Well, he had also had a – he had done for and gotten out as a, as a uh, okay. corporal and uh, had moved back into Virginia and was going to school. And told me his big lucky break came. Uh, uh, he's working part time, going to college, and got pulled over for a DUI in Virginia. And it turned out to be his uncle who was a state trooper. You're kidding? No. And his uncle pulls him over. Didn't know it was his nephew. And, okay. And uh, got up there, and he was slurring his words, and the guy couldn't see him because of the light, and uh, said. I'm going to make you a deal right now. You know, you were doing great till you get out of the Marines. You've been kind of wandering around talking to your parents, not doing well the last two years. I'm going to give you seven days to re-enlist to go back in the Corps and straighten your life out, <laughs> or I'm going to come hunt you down and arrest you. <laughs> so, really? And uh, he, he'd come back, and had best thing that ever happened to him. He was staff sergeant. He was a gunny selectee and uh, said, hey, man, I'm going to, give you the opportunity somebody gave me and you know, you can either walk the tight and narrow. They're in, they're in any middle of the road. Don't come in here and be mediocre. You know? So, so how did that, how do you feel like that changed you? I, I, I relished the challenge in, in the end that I enjoyed the leadership role, uh, you know, in the shop and the opportunity to do that and the mentoring that I got from it and, uh, uh, benefited from it immensely, you know? So why didn't you stay in? Uh, my best friend dove in a swimming pool um, June 7th uh, of the year I was getting out. I was due to get out in September. I had my papers in to reenlist. The commandant was getting his airplane back at Andrews and had been offered a MESEP package by my XO. Mm-hmm. And they told me to go ahead and reenlist for that. We're going to go ahead and submit the package, see if you get the uh, Marine Corps Enlisted Commissioning Program. And uh, my lovely... Uh, I forget what they used to call them, the career planner. Career planner, sure. Career planner. Uh, couldn't figure out the difference between HMX-1 and uh, the Commandant's new squadron, so he submitted my reenlistment papers for HMX-1, which the Marine Corps promptly bounced back. Uh, and I was out of CACs in 29 Palms and uh, got a phone call from him that, my MOS didn't qualify for HMX-1, and I said, it's not what we were re-enlisting for. It was, uh, and I forget the name of the new commandant, so they were giving him uh, a C-20 out at Andrews. 
And I guess they'd taken his plane years earlier, and I guess they finally decided to give one back. And Well, that would have been General Gray at that time. Well, it was, Gray was who was going to get it. Yeah. Okay. okay. He was my commandant my last five or six months in. Yeah, and I know you know General Gray, so we'll get to that. We will. <laughs> He's a good man. They, uh, so in the meantime, my best friend dove in, uh, became a quadriplegic. His dad had already passed. Uh, I kind of, uh, we had four day four days off and uh, I kind of violated my 96 and uh, had a friend driving to San Diego and jumped on a plane and went home and saw him. We were best friends so we were five years old. And uh, uh, the one ask he had was, I can't have my mom shower and take care of me every day. Can you come home and help me through this? So, did so, that. Okay, so if I'm understanding that correctly... You had an opportunity, a couple of different opportunities sure. inside the Marine Corps. Um, after you kind of put yourself back on track, uh, a tragedy occurs to best friend. He asks of, of you really to save his, his, his mother from. Yeah. And at that point, you got out of the Marine Corps and said, I'm here to help. So I went over, took care of him for nine months, and then got back into the airline game. So. Doors open, doors closed. I've, I've never known that about you. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty selfless act. You know, it's interesting. We had had a conversation. Uh, Let me rephrase and, that. That's an extremely selfless act. Uh, we had had a conversation in sixth grade, and we saw somebody paralyzed. And weird conversation, but sixth graders, I guess, have them. That if that ever happens, you know. Let's make a pact right now. If I'm I'm in a wheelchair, you're gonna come kill me, and I'll come kill you. And so when I actually walked in, he was on a board that was flipping up and down. His eyes got really big because it keeps the lungs from filling. And he was like, "Don't smother me." I was like, he said he'd been thinking about it for a day when he heard I was coming out. Wow. <laughs> so, so when you guys were in sixth grade together, yeah. you you made this pact. That, that that you were going to be there for one another. I mean, it sounded. I mean, obviously at the time it was a different pact. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it went from from uh, taking care of one another in air quotations to now taking care of one another. Yeah, and it. it I mean, it. You say selfish, but it, we were, like I said, my best friend since first grade, and I know that had it been me, he'd been there. So, yeah, but that was sixth grade. Yeah. We're, and, and and I mean I'm not I'm not telling you that you should have done anything different. What I'm what I'm doing is is giving you the kudos because that was sixth grade and people don't carry that with them that way. And that to me that's a testament to who Mike Brower really is and who I've known. And now that I hear that story, I know even even more. Well, it's a good story. Ends happily. I mean, he's doing phenomenal. Went back to school a couple months later. Uh, really? Did triplets uh, in vitro. Met his wife after his accident. He's uh, got triplets now that are sophomores in college. And- You're ki- okay, hold on. So I'm assuming he's still a quadriplegic. He, amazingly, he was a phenomenal artist. Great all-med football player in D.C., but a phenomenal artist. And on this hand, he has to, to pick anything up. He opens his hand on his chair and it closes around a drink. But on this hand, his finger and his thumb work fine. It comes right down the middle. And he has triceps but no biceps. So he can raise and then gravity pulls him back down. So 
he actually went back with Apple and technology was just starting to get big in the late 80s. Uh, he was a graphic artist for the Kennedy Center for 20 years. Now he works really? for another federal agency. Yeah, he is, and his artwork's phenomenal. He took up oil painting after it. Uh, uh, and he has triplets. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh! So his his wife. His wife is the saint. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> he married sainthood. As, as happens all over DC. A lot yeah. of a lot of my friends, who, very large Jewish population, a lot of Catholics, a lot mm -hmm. of. A lot of mixed weddings up there, but we have dubbed Joyce the first Jewish saint, so. <laughs> <laughs> we pause to ask, who are you carrying this Memorial Day? Carry the Load provides an active way to connect you to the sacrifices of our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. Our Memorial May events help bring awareness and raise funds while we march to restore the true meaning of Memorial Day. Whether you walk with us on our 48-state national relay, attend the Dallas Memorial March Memorial Day weekend, or carry it anywhere in your community, join Carry the Load and thousands of participants nationwide as we work to honor and remember the sacrifices made for our freedom. For more on how you can join this grassroots movement, visit carrytheload.org slash memorialmay. As tight-knit as we are in the Marine Corps, you and I both, you know, we're, we're fortunate in that we never had a, a round fired at us in anger. And there is a relation, there's a relational pull between two guys who have faced that down. And so, you know, with, with Jake, you, you said you credit Stephen and Clint for saving his life. And I'd, I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit more. I mean, how, how, how is that? So I, I didn't know Stephen was the right, but I felt he was the right guy to talk to him. And I said, look, I'm going to set up a lunch and 10 minutes into it, I, I'm going to have my office pre-ready to call me at 12. We were going to meet at 1230 at the Flying Fish at 1240. I'm going to phone call and I'm going to jet. And you too, just wherever it goes, goes. And Stephen called me a couple days later and said, hey, I really enjoyed meeting him, and I, I really want to dig deeper. And I'm, I'm going to invite him over to the house, but I want to do it alone. I hope you're not offended. Like, Steve was worried. I was, I was, I'm like, no, this is what I wanted to have happen. He was worried I was going to be offended. and so He's the, awfully sensitive for a Navy SEAL. <laughs> it's there. Oh. You're, you're going to turn this way shortly. That... <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, but really took an interest in Jake, like a genuine interest. And, um, uh, I don't, one, I don't think Jake had let anybody do that in a while. Uh, but two, I also think he was ready to, to start getting healthier. You know, it's a, a long road and, uh, he's certainly been through a, a ton, uh, you know, so I think he uses the expression, it's a life journey, you know, but keep grinding. So, so with 22 kill slash one tribe now um you guys lost quite a few people and unfortunately it it's they're probably not going to be the last no this did another funeral last <clears throat> month uh -oh. was there one and and so i want to make sure that people understand this organization how how do you describe the organization rather than me do it it, it 
and I can't speak to them now. Uh, I, I can speak to their counsel in peace now. In fact, I've, I've got a young man I brought down that they're getting ready to help now. But the the, the PTS and the mental health aspect of it uh, is what always drew it to me, that and the, the community they had. Uh, but uh, doing both the traditional and the non-traditional therapy. So they're combining other stuff. But they... Uh, you know, we just lost a friend, Eric Casanata, in a motorcycle crash not too long ago, five, six weeks now, um, that had told me, and Allie, if you're out there listening to his counselor, that it had been uh, the one thing that had kept them between the lines uh, for the last seven, eight years. Um, and I, uh, you know, Ben certainly, uh, his father says he wouldn't have, made it as long as he did after he came home that it was the one uh fortunately had the the one gap with him but it's uh i think it's it's a sorely missing um not just in the military but in in our communities at large mental health uh resource the interesting thing is is about the time that this started um and when people like Corey Ryan and Jake Schick were beating the drum and even Andy Nguyen on having to have a conversation about mental health in an open format, you know. Uh, well, it didn't used to be something. That, nobody I mean, talked about. Yeah. And, but I think it's interesting now that you see public service announcements for it. Mm -hmm. You see people addressing it. Um, you see people talking about it, you know, uh, half the time when somebody famous died and it was suicide, it didn't come out for years later because, you know, it was, the family it was, taboo. was taboo. And I, I think, unfortunately, people like Anthony Bourdain and, you know, people go, how are these people? You know, uh, it, 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 it's a human condition. Yeah, and I've, I've, anyone who knows me pretty well has heard me say that I'm embarrassed of the way I used to think about it because of the time that, that, you know, that you and I went through the time in which we were raised in society oh, well, being taboo. I always looked at, at suicide as a, as a, as simple as a selfish act. And I mean, I, I would give Liberty briefs to my Marines. And again, I'm, I'm embarrassed the way I did it. You know, and it was, you know, my suicide prevention class was something to the effect of don't do it. It's the most selfish thing you could ever do. So if you're going to do it, just go do it and don't even, I mean, just again, this, hey, this was, this was a young man, you know, talking I, to you now. I will tell you a story from Paris Island <laughs> that we had a young man whose father was an army E8 or E9 that decided to go on the Marines, probably didn't belong there, but was going to show dad, you know, I'm going to one-up you. And I guess wrote a letter home implying that he might think about hurting himself. And our DIs came out for like a week straight with a different method every night at bedtime. Like they came out one night with like a 500-pill Tylenol bottle and two canteens of water and call his name out. I won't use it, but, you know, recruit Acme. 
there it is if tonight's the night. You know, the next night was a shaving kit. You know, they brought out rope next to the pull-up pole. Oh, my God. You were in boot camp back then. You're like, yeah, it's kind of comical. And you look back at it, and you're like. Okay, I wasn't prepared to facilitate (laughs) it, but but it it, it really, I think in some ways it shows, I mean, I'm sure there's some pessimist out there that says, yeah, we become weak you know, as a society or, you know, whatever. And I don't look at it that way. I, I look at it again. My eyes have been open to it because it is very real. You know, I had Stephen Holly on here. You referenced him earlier. He talked about the depression that he faced. He was very open about it. And I, and you know what? I'll put, you know, as a man, I'll put him up against any other man. Uh-huh. He's a manly man. And guess what? He, he's man enough to come out and say, I had a problem and I'm That's still part of the reason I, I stepped away from 22. It was 18 funerals in 12 months. I was in a dark spot, a dark spot. I was going to ask you about that because that's one of the, you know, one of the things about 22 kill here, you guys are supposed to be providing counsel and assistance for those who are at that point where they could terminate their own lives. And I've always looked at it from the standpoint. And I understand you're not involved in the day to day anymore, but you're still obviously connected to it. And I used to think to myself, when you're around this much pain and misery, it's going to rub off. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Increased alcohol consumption, you know. And I don't, I I never got to the spot of, I thought I would do something to myself, but you get into a sadness and a despair that you're just, you can't stop it anymore. Right. And it, you know, just even the day-to-day tensions of the relationships of being there. Right. So, uh, it, it becomes at some point, everybody's trying to figure out how to get it solved and people got different ideas and, and, you know, there is no right way to get it done. Right. There's no, PTS and the war are just part of the rue. I mean, it usually goes back to, from what I've seen, there's stuff from childhood. There's marital issues. There's financial stuff. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it, it's layer upon layer. It, it is. It's, it's complex. It, it's not. I served with two five Marines in this valley in Afghanistan from this time period, and our group is acceptable, right? And, and there is no – Benchmark is none of us had the same childhood or the same marriage or the same to trying to go out and assess that where it's coming from next. I think you'll find uh, there were certain units that you can tag, uh, you know, the Burgess family, uh, their son, Brian, his unit at one point in time had, and he was killed in combat, but was, I know the chaplain from that unit, when he got assigned there before that deployment, they had the highest suicidal ideation in the Army. And there were things that led to that. Mm-hmm. But And a lot of it's that old, we're not talking about anything, doing anything mentality. Uh, and they had been through the grinder a couple times before. So uh, I think something has to do with the factory in Fort Campbell, but we'll leave that for another day. Yeah, <laughs> they, uh, yeah and, and I think a lot of, one of the, the great misnomers, too, um, you know, when, when I started doing this, I think in, in this podcast, I mean, in some ways I, I had this idea that a lot of the stories 
that were going to come out were going to be combat related. I think just kind of in the back of my mind, I figured that was the most going to be the most impactful story. And the reality is that what I've found is that there it's typically way beyond that. It's, <laughs> it's the human interest side of it. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you told a story about your, you know, what influenced you was somebody just basically grabbing you by the shirt collar and saying, you know, Hey Marine, which, which road are you going down? And that has nothing to do with being fired at. Well, I remember a, there was, there was one young man that I met at one of the carry the load events and he was in a bad place. I mean, a real bad place. And, and I'm, somebody had said something to me, Hey, Hey, you know, this, this guy needs some help. Needs to, needs somebody to talk to. And I was, again, jumping to conclusions based on, on, you know, on my knowledge of the military that this guy was getting ready to tell me about how he survived some battle, this, that, and the other. No, this guy was in a convoy in Motor T. They stopped in, in some place in, in Iraq. He was somewhere. I mean, he wasn't like riding shotgun or anything. The convoy took off. He, he was not in there. He was left behind. He's in the middle of, of bad guy country <laughs> so. and he got left hand. Well, guess what? It happened a second time to him. And this guy is, I mean, he, he just has this, this fear now of being alone and being left. And so that kind of PTS, you know, can, can really morph into so many other things. Like you said, upbringing, experience here experience there it's interwoven and it creates now this need for organizations like one tribe without a doubt and and, and so as i was saying earlier i mean it's a void that's vastly vastly underfilled was there any one loss that hit you harder than any other Yeah, Ben. Well, let's talk about Ben and keep his memory alive. Just uh, get a phone call from him all the time in crisis or in a bad spot and probably gotten it 20 times before. Uh Jimmy Mack, probably a hundred. A lot of the guys um, was coming home from a business center. Promised her wife I'd be there. Um, called her, said I'm going to make you turn, go back and see him, and she wasn't too happy. <clears throat> Stayed up till two and tried to get him to come to the house, but we have a policy: I can bring vets home, or she can invite him home, but no guns or drugs or weapons. And Ben, it was carrying two guns and a knife and uh, didn't want to turn them over to me, but he's like, I'm fine. I'm going home. Uh, got a text from him at 5 a.m. in the morning. Hey, made it home safe. Love you. Um, called him later that day. Didn't get an answer. And I had a business meeting. So I called the office at 22 and asked Jimmy and Don and John if they could go check on him. Found him in the backyard. So the uh, which 
to feel horrible about him, but, you know, for those three guys to have to walk in and find that. In uh, typical Ben fashion, you know, 45, so not a pretty scene. And that has a tremendous impact on you personally because why? <clears throat> Sweetheart of a guy. Um, yeah, you, me and the wife have a saying, showing up's 90%, right? We've realized small little actions over time that we've done. Glad I answered the phone that night, but could I have pushed harder? You know, was I trying to get home and not upset her more? She, you know, uh, it's, should I even care that he had two guns and a knife on him if I could get him into the house and keep him safe? You know, you, you kind of all through it all. But it just, it, having been there that five hours prior and not, be able to solve it or to fix it that one night, you know, so, and he didn't seem any worse than he'd ever been previous, you know, just. Did you feel some responsibility? I don't know if it's responsibility, just, uh, could you have taken one more step, put a little bit more effort, would he still have been there? Well. Yeah, and it, I think it goes back to what we we're saying. I mean, it's it's a you know mental illness is a real thing, and we can be. I mean, it's not like you guys weren't there for him. No, y'all were there for him. You were you were available to him, and you know, and then and then you get into the weapon side of thing, and that's a that's a that's a challenge, you know, because those are the things that it's you not know, a decision you can't take back. Yeah, and you know, it's it's. I think even beyond that, what's what what complicates that even more is that that's the world that, you know, that we were really formed in as adults. Um, we were around weapons, yeah, and we know what they can do, and we know what they can do if we turn them on ourselves. And and but how do you keep people? It's complicated. It's really complicated. It is, and it's it. You yeah. know, it it's interesting. That, and I don't know what it's based on it other than, but the majority of the men kill themselves with a gun. And women don't do that. Well, Is that right? Yeah. I don't think I was ever aware it's, of that uh, statistic. It, it, it's a minor, minor resource for them. Jordan, it's pills or, or other forms. I remember hearing that at a mental health conference, and it, it doesn't shock me, but it's it's also, I think, a lot that the... You know, you were saying that we used to view it as cowardly. I think it's B.J. Gannam who told me who runs Sierra Delta um, uh, that, you know, he went through some dark times. He lost, he got blown up, lost a leg. But it said, he goes, I think it's one of the bravest things for some of these people that she just, he goes, I tried three or four times. I could never pull a trigger. You know, multiple combat tour Marine. And uh, it, it, so it's when you get to that moment, it's finality, you know, and there's different reasons too. some of it, you know, Ben, 
was the TBI from his IED explosion. Mm-hmm. Couldn't remember things, headaches all the time. I mean, there's just, it, you're, you don't have any control over your life. It's a little, you take that and the PTS combined with it. Because IEDs and, and TBI are a whole nother thing. Uh, you know, the that level of pain gets so great for some people, guys that have lost limbs and, and been blown up, that if this is going to be my every day, it just becomes unbearable. You know, which is a whole different, you throw that in with PTS, you know. And I, I think, uh, I, I honestly believe you're going to see the numbers rise again in another 15, 20 years. Okay, well, how do we deal with it? And and I, I'm, I'm going to ask you that question, and then I'm going to I'm going to go a little deeper before I give you a chance to answer it. You know, one of the the challenges that I think you know we we face, I think the VA does a lot of, they do a lot of good, and they certainly have the best of intentions. But so many of these guys find themselves addicted to meds. Oh, without a doubt. And you know, kind of a big push right now in in society is the the medication by way of a natural medicinal solution, and that being marijuana. Now, it's again this you know, just like we were talking about with with this problem to begin with, it's very taboo. Um, well, they're even going further now with the microdoses of the mushrooms and yeah. Mm. And, and I mean, you know, again, I, I used to, you know, you, you labeled yourself as a Democrat. I won't claim anyone. Uh, I am more, uh, but I am very, you know, conservative in, in my, my beliefs. And so I, I used I to, used to be. So we'll, to we'll chat later. Okay. It's not a political show. <laughs> I'm a populist is what I'm going with now. <laughs> I don't got much love for either side. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, I used to look at it and go, oh, marijuana is bad. Marijuana is bad. I can't tell you how many veterans now I've run across who are dealing with those types of things who have said to me, marijuana saved, actually saved my life. It helped reconnect all the sensors in my brain to every other aspect of my body. And I've had to, to do a lot of self-reflection there and say, okay, first of all, you know, I've seen firsthand what alcohol can do, um, you know, inside of my family and out. And, and to have somebody, I've never had somebody say to me, alcohol saved my life, but I've had a lot of people now say I, marijuana. I, and I, I think it goes back, you know, and I don't do it for the record. I'm not a marijuana guy. I, it doesn't. It's not anything I'm interested in. Yeah, it's it that the the uh, CBD oils mm-hmm. uh, from. Uh, I had a sister of mine that had a hysterectomy for cancer and had scar tissue going through her recovery. Was going through a bunch of pain and and medication wouldn't do anything for her. And she tried the oils, and three days later she was up walking around. So I I don't I would agree with you yet. You've never heard anybody say my life's better from alcohol, right? My fund meter's more pegged. Absolutely. <laughs> but, and uh, anybody who knows me, uh, uh, though I'm in the middle of my uh, 40-day Lenten dry stretch right now, for, uh, which is a good thing. I need to lose some weight. But it's uh, – I always believe you should never let uh, let a good happy hour, a good glass of vino pass. But uh, Except during Lent. Except during Lent. 
And uh, the it, I've never heard that, like you said, on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a social stigma of it. But it's like anything else, uh, especially on the suicide aspect in the, in the PTS. How do you not not try? The most interesting thing is, is where our conversations go. I never have a clue, one, as to where they're going to go, but I always enjoy them. So if you would do me a, a huge favor and, and uh, in the spirit of carry the load, tell us who you're carrying. It's a long list. Long list. This year's a little spare for, uh, special for Eric Castaneda. We'd lost him a couple weeks ago. And I had met him on the trail. He was struggling last year. And uh, when he was going through Warrior's Heart, we had another Marine we had sent down there. Uh, uh, and had made me a plaque that said 22 killing on it. And at his funeral, they gave it to me. And I gave that to Eric. I'm like, and he unfortunately died in a motorcycle accident uh, in January. So, yeah, walking for him, but uh, got a long rest on the back, unfortunately. Well, but and it's if I'm not mistaken, there's there's a good chance that that was his way of checking out. Pretty sure. And uh, you know, when the reason that's important is that even though carry the load is about those who made the ultimate sacrifice, unfortunately. Um, those like him, they made the sacrifice long before it actually. Without a doubt, just the delayed payment system. You know, it's an interesting way to put it. Hey, it's uh, you know, it's it it reverberates for them long after that that engine on the bird shutting down, coming home, it just really does. Um, uh, it like. You were talking earlier about the short throwaway and short attention span. Yeah. You know, uh, Clay Hunt's mom told me that he had told her uh, Marines went to war and America went to the mall. Unfortunately, I believe that's a little more accurate than we'd like to. I don't know. Thanks, Mike. Thank Appreciate you, sir. Appreciate you being here. It's good seeing you again.